Amen. Amen. So good to have all of you here tonight and those of you again joining us online. Just a reminder, um, this is the first year we've ever done this, but at the end of this month, October, you know, we always have our trunk or treat, which people sort of have gotten used to. Well, that's just a kid thing. That's just for, you know, parents and children. But this year, it's going to be a church-wide potluck, and everyone is... The, the, the trunk or treat's just sort of a, a part of that whole evening. So we hope that many of you will come out that night because it's a great opportunity for us to fellowship together uh, as an entire church family. Acts chapter 14 tonight. Hard to believe that after tonight, we are halfway through our study of the book of Acts, 28 chapters, and tonight we finish out chapter 14. And borrowing a literary classic, I've entitled this chapter, A Tale of Three Cities, uh, because uh, primarily uh, the information that Luke gives us uh, about Paul and Barnabas uh, primarily uh, is what's been happening and going on in three cities, though you're going to see that they have been in many cities uh, as a missionary team. And as we approach this part of the book of Acts, many may think, well, if this is all about the missionary journeys of Paul and God hasn't called me to be a missionary, what can I get out of this, Right? How is this personally applicable to me? Well, many of the principles and the pattern that is set in a chapter like Acts chapter 14 absolutely can be applied to our life every day as Christians. Because God may not have called us to be a missionary, but we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called to witness for Christ. We are called to minister and serve. And so... Many of the principles and the pattern of what they were doing and how they were doing it certainly is a great example that they lay down for us. And so I hope that all of us can be uh, challenged, inspired, and encouraged by the example of Paul and Barnabas tonight. Let's begin in verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium when Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue. What's the same thing? Well, back last week, we saw that when they began to proclaim the word of God, there were always two responses to that proclamation. There were those that wanted to hear about it more and were open and believed in the gospel. And there were those who were highly resistant and actually antagonistic towards the gospel. And the same thing is going to happen everywhere that Paul and Barnabas goes. There's going to be people who are receptive and there's going to be people who are very non-receptive. You and I have to keep that in mind. And again, remember, God never holds us responsible for other people's response. All he holds us responsible for is to be faithful to whatever calling or ministry he has given to us. And to these two individuals, these partners in ministry, they have been sent out by the church in Antioch, as we saw last week, to proclaim the good news. And so we see them here in verse 1 going into the Jewish synagogue. That's where they would usually start. If there was a synagogue in a town or city, that's where they would begin. Notice what it says. 
they spoke in such a way that a large group of both Jews and Greeks believed. They were saved by grace through faith. I want to draw your attention, though, to the phrase, spoke in such a way. Notice it wasn't just what they spoke or what they said. It was the gospel. And there is power in the gospel. There is power in the word of God. But it is also the way that they spoke it. And the way that Paul and Barnabas spoke it was being empowered by the Spirit. Remember, this whole study of the book of Acts is about the difference that the Holy Spirit can make in our lives. And we have seen, when you look at a snapshot of the disciples in the Gospels, even with Jesus, and who they are in the book of Acts now being, uh, you know, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and empowered by him every day, it's like night and day. And so what you have here is not only this missionary team proclaiming the good news, but they are doing it empowered by the Spirit. Let me read a section of Scripture that Paul writes to the Corinthians where he emphasizes this. He says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony of God. For I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was then with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Again, I go back to that verse. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. It was not based upon human eloquence or my human ability to be able to speak. It was me getting up there filled with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to take me over. You and I have to remember that as well that we can never get so, say, skilled or uh, able in something that we're not totally relying or depending upon God. Everything that we do as a Christian should be a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Using the tools and the resources that God gives us, using the sword of the Spirit as they did, the Word of God, but also doing it with the power and the enablement of the Spirit. Back then to Acts. Again, some believe, but then notice verse 2. But there were Jews who refused to believe. They were stubborn. They had a stiff-necked attitude towards the gospel and the things of God, and they stirred up others and poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas and other brothers and sisters in Christ. This phrase, poison their minds, is a very interesting word. It's actually a word that Luke would have been familiar with as a doctor. It spoke about poisonous venom that was uh, used by serpents, snakes, if you will, uh, a snake bite. And, And it's also very interesting that when you study this, that out of all the snakes that God ever made, there's only one snake 
that actually its poison attacks the mind. All the other snakes, when you're bitten by a poisonous snake, it attacks your bloodstream, right? But the king cobra is the only snake in the world that actually has a neurotoxin that attacks your brain instead of your bloodstream. Think about that. In a sense, Luke is saying, we had a bunch of king cobras on our hands because these people were literally spewing their venom against Paul and Barnabas and turning people off against them and what they were speaking. So here again, we're going to have that in our life. We have to expect there's going to be those people in our life that are very open and receptive to us and our ministry and what we're trying to do. And there's going to be others that's going to be very much opposed and antagonistic to it, you see. That's always going to be the case. So notice verse 3. They stayed there, though, for a considerable time. Wow. That's resolve in the face of opposition. Sometimes that's what we need, that through the leading of the Spirit, God doesn't want us to cut and run. God wants us to stay there and continue to minister in spite of the opposition and in the midst of opposition. But what we're also going to see in this chapter, something very interesting, is there's also times where the Spirit of God says, go, leave. And that's why, again, it's so important that as God's people, we're always in tune and aligned with the Spirit. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, in spite of the opposition and challenges that you're facing, I want you to stay there and not cut and run. There's other times where the Holy Spirit says, no, it's time to get out and move on. And only the Spirit of God can give us the clarity and the insight and the wisdom to know when do I stay and when do I go. And that's why it's important that we're always filled with the Spirit. So here, in spite of this poison and this venom that was creating a toxic environment around them, notice they stayed by the stuff and they were speaking, verse 3, courageously or fearlessly for the Lord. You and I, we need to be courageous people. We need to be fearless people. Uh, we had the opportunity, uh, Elliot and Mike and I, to speak at the men's conference on the fear of the Lord on Saturday. And one of the things that I shared with the men was a passage out of the book of Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah is basically saying to all of us, when we fear the Lord, then we have nothing else to fear. When we put God in his proper place and we worship him, then we don't have to fear, if you will, anything else. When we fear God, we fear nothing else. When we don't fear God properly, we fear anything and everything else. And so we need to be a fearless people. And they were testifying, notice, the message of his grace. That was primarily what epitomized, what, what they were emphasizing was, again, this is God's gift. This isn't something any of us can ever earn or that we deserve. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. That's what grace is. And so they weren't bringing a message of judgment. 
They were primarily trying to reach these people through the message of grace. Again, it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Also notice that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God was doing supernatural work. Signs and wonders, verse 3, were being performed, notice, through their hands. That's an important phrase. God wants to work through the hands of his people. God wants to do miracles and supernatural things through his people. Can God do it without us? Absolutely. But God prefers to work through us. And you and I need to have the faith that God can do extraordinary supernatural things through his people when we are yielded to him and when we believe that he can. And I've run into a lot of Christians through the years who believe that, oh, I believe that God can do great things through them, but not me. No, it's every one of us. We have to have the faith to believe that God can do supernatural things through our hands, through our lives, through our lips. We have to believe that he can do it. Verse four, notice again, the population of the city was divided. Some sided with them, Others began to mistreat and and wanted to stone them. So now look what happens in verse 6. When Paul and Barnabas learned about it, now they flee and take off. So again, there was a time where the Holy Spirit, in spite of the poisoning of, of people's minds that was going on, the Holy Spirit said, stay, continue to minister, continue to proclaim. But then there came a point where their physical well-being was obviously on the line, and the Holy Spirit led them, don't stay here anymore, get to safety. And notice when they came to the cities of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding region, what they were doing. They were doing the same thing they always were doing, continuing to proclaim the good news. By the way, the word continuing describes a persistence and a perseverance. So we've already talked about resolve, and now we're seeing persistence and perseverance. These are the qualities that are needed, not just by missionaries, not just by a partnership like Paul and Barnabas. These are qualities that are necessary for all of us if we're going to serve the Lord and minister for him, especially in the days in which we are living. Because notice what Luke writes in verse 22. To me, this is the key verse, the last phrase of verse 22. We must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions. It is God's will that we enter the eternal kingdom through many persecutions. Paul tells the Philippians, it has been granted to us by God not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for him, Philippians 1.29. It is part of God's plan. So that's why we go back even to the message on Sunday and what we've been learning about David, how important it is that we be strong in the Lord. And that's what we're learning in the book of Acts. The early church had to be strong because they were dealing with opposition and they were dealing with much persecution and they knew that God was going to bring them through it because our God is a through God 
He doesn't take us around things. He doesn't normally remove those things. He wants us to learn to go through these things. So that's the one city, Iconium. Then we come to the second city, Lystra. And in Lystra, there was a man that they saw there who was actually lame from his birth, could not use his feet, a seemingly hopeless case. I want us to see that man that way. This was hopeless, right? No, not with God and not with people who believe in God. He never walked a day in his life. This man, though, was listening to Paul. And the word listening means to be able to hear God's voice through a human instrument. And to be able to hear God's voice that then births faith within and builds faith within. And as Paul was speaking, notice Paul had a great interest in this man. There was something that the Spirit if you will, drew Paul's attention to this man and the Bible says Paul stared intently at him and noticed, saw that he had faith to be healed. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? You'd think faith is something that's sort of invisible. No. There's the idea that someone can have such faith that God can do something that another Christian who's aligned and in tune with the Spirit can sense that in someone else. And I know that to be true because I've seen that in you as your pastor. I can sense those that have faith that God can heal them and those that don't or don't believe it. You can sense that when you have the Holy Spirit to help you. And, and, And Paul could sense that in this man. Not that this man thought that God would heal him, but he certainly thought God could heal him, even though he had never walked. And so this hopeless case became a case of hope through the Lord. Paul said, stand up on your feet. The man leaped up and began walking. Again, multiple miracles here. Not only that the man was walking, who never walked, but how did he even know how to walk? And and. He never learned how to walk, except God just instantaneously gave him the ability and the wherewithal to know how to walk. Now, when the crowd saw this, they thought that they were in the midst of gods, people, again, with supernatural power. So I'm going to skip over a lot, but basically, this city was a very pagan city and had been influenced by pagan worship and by belief in, you know, polytheism and multiple gods. And so they thought that the gods have come down from heaven in the form of Paul and Barnabas, and they begin to worship these two men. Obviously, Paul and Barnabas are horrified. They they basically say, verse 15, men, why are you doing these things? We're just mere mortals like you are. We are proclaiming the good news to you. You see that phrase over and over again. Seed planters, sharing the message of God everywhere they went to as many people as they had opportunity. Again, a great example for us. But notice why they were proclaiming the good news. The purpose statement, so that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God. And he's the creator 
of all that you see. And in past generations, he let a lot of stuff go, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness ever. He always revealed himself in every generation to every culture through natural revelation, through the care and and concern that he had for every human being. Now, verse 18 says, a lot of them still wanted to worship them as gods, but when Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, after winning the crowds over, they stoned Paul. Did you notice something? These were the same people that were just a few minutes ago proclaiming that they were gods. And now they want to stone them. You see how fickle people are. And how, why the Bible says we must be stable in our faith and in our beliefs and in our convictions. We cannot be, as the Bible says, tossed back and forth like the waves of the sea or the wind. We must root ourselves in the word of God, know what we believe and why we believe it. Because we are living in a day and age where, again, there are so many voices, so many people claiming to speak for God and be spokespeople for God, and not all of them are. And in fact, what's crazy is sometimes Christians will will follow this person over here who's speaking this that's in direct contradiction to another spokesperson for God over here, and yet they hold both of them at the same time, even though their messages and their ministries contradict each other. We must make sure that we are grounded in what we believe and that we're not so fickle. They stoned Paul. Well, we know, remember when Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus, that the Lord said to him, I need to show him how many things he's going to have to suffer for my name, Acts chapter 9, verse 16. And Paul's life was filled with suffering. After they stone him, they drag him out of the city, presuming him to be dead. I don't think Paul was dead. I don't think he actually rose from the dead or that God raised him from the dead, but I think he was close to death. But I want you to see this beautiful picture of what happened here in in Lystra. After the disciples had surrounded him, he got up and went back into the city. I want to talk about the disciples surrounding him. It's this beautiful picture to me of what we should be for one another. I mean, when, when one of us in the body is hurting or in need or whatever, they should feel encircled or encompassed or surrounded by other believers. And, and, and that's what you see, this beautiful picture of disciples coming and really surrounding. And I'm sure probably while they were surrounding him, not knowing how bad off he was and whether he was dead or not, they probably started praying for Paul. And the great thing is that God did do something supernatural here. Paul was able to get back up and go right back into the city. And here again now is an example of the Holy Spirit leading Paul. Instead of saying, no, let's move on, he's going right back into the city to the very people that just stoned him almost to death. 
I think that the Holy Spirit did that so that Paul could be a witness to them, to show them, you all aren't in charge. My God's in charge. And we are invincible through Christ until God says our ministry is done here. And that's exactly, I think, why Paul was led back into that city, the same city that the people stoned him in, was to show them all these other gods that you worship, as Paul said earlier, they're worthless idols. There is only one true living God. But what courage it would have taken for Paul to do that. After almost dying to go right back to that same group of people. Again, we're seeing a pattern here. We're seeing examples here of who we should be as the people of God. Maybe God hasn't called us to be missionaries, but again, God calls all of us to be ambassadors for Christ. Well, let's get to the last section because this is where I want to actually spend the, the last few moments. And this is, to me, my favorite section. Verse 21, after they proclaimed the good news in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Notice they went back to the very same places that they had already been, where they had already won people to the Lord, where people were saved, and where they were making disciples. Now, I want to go back to this word made. It's a very important word. It means to be trained or developed. Disciples of Jesus Christ are not born. They are made. They are trained. And the great commission from Jesus himself is to go into all the world and make disciples. That's the charge of the church. Not simply to get people saved. That's just the first step. Our responsibility before the Lord is to train and develop disciples. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy, train yourself for godliness. So let me just veer off here for a moment and hopefully encourage some of you in this way. And I've shared this principle before. I've had many Christians over the years come to me frustrated because they're struggling to be all that they want to be and, and feel that, that all that they could be in the Lord. And they are trying. They're trying so hard. And I look at them, hopefully in a loving and kind way, and I say to them, it's not in trying. It's in training. We'll never be who we should be by trying really hard. Trying doesn't ever make us disciples. It's entering into God's training that makes us disciples. And I've used this illustration before. I can't come up with a better one. So until I do, I'm sorry, you're going to have to hear it repeated. And that is this. Every year, the P.F. Chang Marathon is run here in Phoenix. What, it's 23 point some miles, right? This year, I could enter that and say, Jeff's going to try really hard to run this marathon. I got to tell you, I probably won't even get a half a mile, and I'd have to drop out. Is it because I didn't try? No. But better to start this year and start training. 
start running a little bit every day and increase my, you know, time and, and distance every day for a whole year and then run that race. I still might not make it 23 miles, but I'm going to make it a lot further by training for that race than by trying. That's what discipleship is all about. It is entering into God's training. Now, God's training lasts a lifetime. So don't get, you know, we're in a marathon here, again, using that terminology, not a sprint. So cut yourself some slack. Give yourself some grace. God's training lasts a lifetime. And let me also say this. The courses are often repeated even if we pass. Let me repeat that. God many times has us repeat the course even if we passed. That's part of his training of us. So, when we think about our own discipleship, when we think about making disciples, let us as a church not think about it in terms of trying harder, but in terms of getting people to enter in to God's spiritual training ground, if you will. All right, verse 22. What's part of this? Well, part of it is strengthening the souls of disciples, further strengthening them continually, making them stronger, because we never get to a place where we can't use more strength. So our whole life again is to be spent just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then also part of that training is encouraging others to continue in the faith, to persevere, to stay or remain in the faith, or should we say it this way, to remain faithful. We talked about that Sunday with Psalm 25. Being faithful, because we know the Bible teaches us that there will be many, especially in the last days, who depart from the faith, who are not faithful, who do not stay close to the Lord and stay in training. They depart from it and go their own way. And again, this is part of a lifetime thing. That's how God views it. In fact, let me share this with you. I hope this will be an encouragement to you. Maturing in Christ is a moving picture that lasts for a lifetime, okay? So when you're thinking about your maturity in Christ, it's a movie, if you will, a moving picture that lasts for a lifetime. Spirituality is a snapshot at any given time in our life because spirituality has to do with the fact that am I in that moment in time, in that snapshot, am I filled with the Spirit at that moment? Am I aligned with the Spirit? So the reason I'm pointing this out is you as a Christian can be moving and maturing, and yet at that particular snapshot of that particular hour or day, you might be deemed not very spiritual. That doesn't mean you're not maturing. Again, spirituality is snapshots of our life. Maturing is the whole moving picture of our whole life. All right. Again, why are they 
encouraging them to remain and persevere and be faithful because we must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions, pressures, if you will, challenges, obstacles. And so only those who are strong in the Lord are going to be able to remain faithful during the times of testing and trying. And let me say this, and and I didn't mean tonight's message to be another shameless plug for Sunday's message, but, but Sunday's message this coming week, David has been doing so well up to this point, right? Not on Sunday. His faith is being tested as he runs for his life. And we're going to see a snapshot of David on Sunday in 1 Samuel where he doesn't pass the test very well. Now, obviously you move him a little bit further and he comes back from that. And hopefully, again, this whole series, even on David, will be an encouragement to us. We're not always going to do it perfectly, but we need to measure our maturity over our lifetime of progress, not measuring us by that snapshot of maybe that particular moment in time we weren't doing very well and we weren't filled with the Spirit and we weren't aligned with the Spirit of God. Also notice part of the training, verse 23, was appointing spiritual elders in the churches to lead the people of God in this training of disciples. And they entrusted them to the protection of the Lord because ultimately we can't protect one another no matter how diligent or careful we are. Only God can protect us and surround us 24-7. So they passed through these other cities. They came back and sailed to Antioch and where they had been commended to the work of the Lord. And they then arrived, verse 27, gather the church together because the people of God are always to be coming together. And notice they reported all the things that God had done with them. I love that testifying to what God had done. Staying humble, God had done miraculous, supernatural things, had done many wonderful things, brought many people to faith and strengthened many disciples, but they recognized it was all God. And that's where you and I have to, if God does great things, it's only because God had done, did it, it's not us that's doing it. We're just the instruments. We're just the vessels. We're just the channels of God. We must stay humble before the Lord. And they also related to them how God had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. One last very important principle, though, in verse 28. Again, this is part of discipleship, and this is part of our spiritual training. They spent considerable time with the disciples. Discipleship takes time. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth and maturity. In a world today where we're all about quick fixes, because that's the way the world wants to solve their issues, they want the quick fix. They want to be able to take a pill and get it all taken care of. They don't want to enter in to a lifetime of training. That doesn't interest them at all. 
They want to see results, and they want to see it now. And God in his spiritual growth and maturing of his people is not about that at all. We have to be okay with the amount of time that it's going to take to mature and grow us, and we've got to be okay with the amount of time it's going to take to mature and grow others. Think about Jesus. He spent almost every day with those 12 men, and yet I'm sure there were days where the Lord walked away going, ay, 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 ay. Spiritual growth takes time. Fruit takes time to ripen. Fruit doesn't ripen overnight. It takes time to ripen. And let me share one last thing with you. When God wants to make a squash, he takes six months. When God wants to make an oak tree, it takes 100 years. God isn't interested in making a bunch of squashes. He wants to, our roots to go way down deep, rooted and built up in him, as Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Well, in order to do that, you know, we, we don't want to be like these Palo Verde trees around the church that every time the wind blows, they fall over because they have no root system. They're not strong. That's why God calls the godly a palm tree because the way God made palm trees is they literally can be blown almost perpendicular and let they come back up because there's a strength there. God wants to plant us in him. And that takes a considerable amount of time. And so I say that so that hopefully you and I will give ourselves more grace and realize that our spiritual growth and maturity is a lifetime and not to get discouraged by the snapshots in time of where we maybe weren't very spiritual in that moment, but that doesn't derail the fact that we are on the path of being a disciple and making progress. And that also means then that we must be extremely patient with others as well. Because just as we need to be patient with ourselves, we need to be patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ because their spiritual growth and their spiritual maturity is going to take a lifetime. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for, Lord, using this ministry and missionary team of Paul and Barnabas, but also, Lord, in them and through them, giving us an example, a pattern for us to follow today. There was not a city or a town that they went in that they didn't receive some type of positive reception, but also some type of negative reception. And God, they just had to learn to be strong in you. And Lord, we also saw this beautiful picture that as they were growing in strength, they were able to encourage other believers around them to be strong in you as well. And they were able to train and encourage other believers to go into the, to God's training program. And not to try anymore, 
but to just enter into training every day, that they would see a difference over time, that the cumulative effect of their training program spiritually would start to show results very, very quickly. And so, God, I pray that for all of us tonight, we've been encouraged, we've been inspired, we've been refreshed, but also challenged, Lord, by the pattern that they left for us. God, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for the worship that we had. Thank you for the time in your word. Would you take us all home safely and bring us back on Sunday, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.